Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, I think this is going to be one of those episodes where we have a lot of listeners who are wondering, are they talking about my clinic? Um, I think this is one that a lot of people can relate to simply because we have a problem in veterinary medicine, and that is we have a lot of people in positions of leadership who struggle with dealing with interpersonal conflicts. And as a result, we have a lot of things that are left to fester for probably too long. And this is a case where we had a manager who has been in a position where they have some toxic interpersonal behavior that has been happening between the team for quite some time. And their prior practice owner never wanted to deal with the interpersonal drama. And so they just swept it under the rug. Now that practice owner is out of the picture and this manager is feeling empowered to deal with it and is wondering, I seem to be having the same kind of conversations with my team over and over again. At what point should I expect them to figure this out and expect them to have open communication amongst themselves without me having to handhold? Let's get into this one. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. (laughs) And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie People are talking, talking about people gods. How's it going, Andy? It's awful. It is freaking awful. I appreciate you asking. I made a deal with uh, Jamie Holmes, who I talk to every morning, that we are going to stop asking each other how we're doing in the morning because this has been 2022. Every day has been like, why do you ask me that? Don't ask me that. I don't want to know. My, uh, my whole family is sick um, oh, no. in different ways. They all have right. different illnesses. Uh-huh. Um, and bad dog skipper Rourke, has discovered a deep and unending love for cough drops. And so he seeks them out and they give him diarrhea. So now I have cough drop diarrhea, a golden doodle skipper to deal with on top of sick children who don't go to school, (laughs) Stephanie Goss. Like they've been to school like four times in this year. No, It's like, I'm at the end of my rope here. I can't keep, can't keep doing this. Oh, uh, that, and I will say, like, as a, I, I have deep empathy for you because that, like, I remember that stage about last year where you're not doing it by choice and you don't know when the plan is going to shift again and they're going to go back to school yeah. or they're not going to go back to school. Like, that place sucks, whether it's weather or the unexpected. Like, if I plan for it, like now, my kids didn't go back after the pandemic and we're doing a homeschool co op and. So I, but I know that they're going to be home and we have a plan and a structure and every day has a schedule and, and we're running it and it feels fine and it doesn't, but in that limbo land, like you're in because you guys had that big storm. So they were home and then everybody's been sick. Like I feel so, I feel so bad for you and Allie. When you said, when you said you could empathize, I thought you could empathize with menthol diarrhea for a minute. And I was like, this is a special kind of hell. I don't know if you can empathize with this. I was, I was like i said something to our friend shelly adrian you know shelly um dr shelly adrian is uh the purina institute ambassador for the u.s and she's awesome uh, oh, and she's uh she's an uncharted she's great and she anyway uh, so she does a lot of lectures on nutrition and, and communication and she's uh she was doing that and, and i was talking to her about about awfulness and she was she was on a webinar, Stephanie, recently, and she's doing this presentation. And her dog comes into the screen and starts yarking behind her as she's lecturing. And everyone can see this dog just standing behind the lecturer, just. <laughs> and I, she was like the powerlessness, like just to, to be like, just to be tied to this screen. And you can see yourself in the screen so you can see what's behind you. And everyone watching it, and I was like, that made me feel a little bit better about the the position I'm in, just because, like, yeah, it could be worse. <laughs> Skipper could be yarking in front of an international audience while I'm powerless to stop him. There would there'd be video of me going, get out, like, you know, dragging him off the carpet, how you do, you know what I mean? Off the carpet, off the carpet, off the carpet. Oh, man. Okay, well, clearly we are going to be on fire for this episode. No, I think I'm done. I think, I think, it's, I think it's time to actually just do some work. Um, Rain this back in. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you about how you're doing. We're going to move yeah, on. No, let's not, I think we're past that. <laughs> we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about communication problems. <laughs> <laughs> Right. We're going to talk about communication problems in a team. So um, I was 
uh, recently talking to another manager who was excited and also feeling overwhelmed and frustrated. And so they are excited because previously they had been a private practice and they were recently um, made the transition to being a corporate practice. And so the reason that they were excited about this is because previously they had a practice owner who was really not into dealing with the people and didn't want to take action when team members were not, uh, should have had some accountability happening, right? So this manager is like, I'm finally in a position where I am empowered and I can make some cultural changes and some shifts. And so I am super excited about this. The challenge is that there is, the, the team has kind of come along through the transition. So there have been some years of some bad behavior, some gossiping, passive aggressive behavior amongst the team, the the real people stuff that uh, let's be honest, I've watched a lot of practice owners just ignore because they don't want to deal with the conflict. Right. Sure. And so this manager is like, look, here's what I'm doing. When somebody comes to me, I'm saying to them, I'm kind of asking them a question. Why are you talking to me? You should be talking to this other person um, because I can't do anything about it. And I'm trying to help them. Like if they, if they want help trying to figure out what to say, I'm totally happy to talk to them, but I'm trying to get them to talk to each other. And when they're just like, well, I don't want to do that. Then I have offered to help. Like I'll have, I'll be there with you. I can, I can mediate the conversation, but the team is basically refusing to take responsibility and accountability for any of their problems with each other. And so my manager friend was like, look, I am at the point where I feel like I want to look at them and be like, look, what do you want me to do about it? I can't, if you're not willing to talk to the other person and deal with this on your own, like this is interpersonal conflict and I don't know how to help you. And so they were really struggling with like, how do we, how do we, how do I get out of this cycle? Because I feel like I'm constantly coaching them and it's going nowhere or everything seems to go okay and the conversation seems to be resolved but then the behavior is continuing to occur and so they were like at what point should I expect them to be able to do this on their own (laughs) like when can I bow out of some of these conversations because I'm feeling super super frustrated yeah this this sounds like a lipstick on a pig situation (laughs) Um, and yeah. So okay, uh, I I'm super thrilled about this. I'm like I love this so much. Uh huh. Um, because we're gonna we're gonna go to work on it. So, yep. <clears throat> so the first thing I want to talk about um is uh if you have a couple of employees who don't get along, then you have an employee problem probably. Mm-hmm. And if you have a whole team who doesn't get along, and you're sorting out different problems every day, you don't have an employee problem. You have a culture problem. Right. You have, you have, like, you have a, you have a significant under the surface problem. Fair. And so it sounds like we're using employee tools on a culture problem. Mm -hmm. And that is just a recipe. That's like menthol diarrhea. It's just, (laughs) it's it's, it's not going away. It's, it permeates. I could just go deeper, but it is, uh, is you don't want it. That's take home. It's a special kind of thing that you don't want. And if you don't have the right carpet cleaner, you're out of luck. And we're going to talk about culture cleaning carpet, carpet <laughs> culture carpet cleaning. I'm sorry, I haven't got, I haven't been sleeping well because because everyone is awake in my house. I'm just, I'm really holding on. Oh, okay. Good lord. <laughs> All right, let's let's start. Let's start again. Okay, here we go. All right, this is uh this is probably not a, uh, uh, this is not a coaching problem. Uh, from what it sounds like, this is a culture problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so all right, we're gonna we're gonna get back up. We're gonna get off the silly train. And get back, get back to work. <laughs> Here we go. All right, talk about a couple things. First thing we always talk about uh, when we look at this. Okay, so we had this other, uh, we had this owner, practice owner who was there, and they took their hands off the wheel and they didn't want to deal with the conflict, and things became what they are. Mm-hmm. This is a shifting baseline problem, right? Mm-hmm. So remember, shifting baseline. When we talk about culture, shifting baseline is the phenomenon where we have a normal team or practice, and then the owner just doesn't want to get involved in the conflict. So things get a little, they get a little bad. You know, we get a little, we start to have some gossiping. We start to have some people who snipe at each other. You know, we have some people who maybe uh, figure out that if they can get in the manager's office and talk, then they don't have to work as much in the treatment mm-hmm. room. Cause they got mm-hmm. and then we find all these bad, they figure out that they show up a little bit late and I'm just going to say anything. It's just five minutes late. And that becomes normal, right? Mm-hmm. The norm becomes, hey, you know, we gossip a little bit and we sure. say some snarky things to each other. And then, 
it shifts a little bit more. And when now we're saying a little bit more snarky things and we're arguing a little bit more often and we're showing up 10 minutes late instead of five minutes late, but 10 minutes is pretty normal now. Norm on time is 10 minutes late. That's right. the new on time. Right. And it just slowly slides. It was not fine. And then all of a sudden it switched and now everybody's fighting with each other. That's my point. This is shifting baseline. It takes a long time and it has been a slow creep to the behaviors that we have now. Mm -hmm. And so um, the idea that we're probably going to step in and have a couple conversations is going to jump back to where it was. That's probably not true. This has slowly grown to be what it is. It can be fixed. Right. 100% it can be fixed. Yes. But this is going to be a process. And so the first headspace is, okay, we need, we need to put to bed the idea that if you have the right conversation, this is going to go away tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, that, those are expectations that are going to frustrate you. Mm -hmm. like, no, this is a systemic problem, not insurmountable. We can do this. And it's not the worst systemic problem by far, mm -mm. but just go ahead and set expectations for yourself. This is going to take some doing uh, to unpack and just mm -hmm. be okay with that and say, this is going to be, this is my 2022 project. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to mm -hmm. work on it. And, and that's, that's how this is going to go. So, so shifting based on what I'm going to start with. So, so why does, why does this happen? It's funny. There's, there's two things that, that, that I see that are good examples of the next point I want to make, which is present bias. So we talked about shifting baseline. Now we're going to talk about present bias and shifting, uh, present, present bias is the natural inclination we have to do the thing that is easiest in the, or most pleasurable in the moment. Sure. Even though it is not the best thing in the long term, right? We are wired to prioritize things that immediately give us something good as opposed to delayed gratification, potential benefit in the future. And so the first place we see this where it really screwed us is the practice owner. Because in the moment, not just not dealing with it is the easier thing. Because sure. nobody wants to go have these hard conversations. Right. When you look at it down the down the long view, not having these conversations is bad mm -hmm. and leads to a toxic workplace that nobody wants to be and just constant headaches and things you have to deal with every day. But in the moment, I don't want to deal with this, is the easiest thing to say where you get an immediate reward compared to going and dealing with it. Right. For the for the manager, what we see, I want to see a lot when we have these sort of uh, problems or, or people not getting along, we see present bias is I'm going to jump in and mo uh, moderate these two people. I'm going to jump in and fix this thing right now. I'm going to jump in and put this dumpster fire out because it's, it's easier for me just to jump in and do it than it is for me to make them work it out themselves and circle back up with them and have them, uh, you know, have them muddle through it and get hurt feelings without me being involved. Mm -hmm. And so the present bias is, all right, you come here and you come here. I'm just going to moderate. I'm going to make you two act like adults. Right. And now you're going to do it. And now it's done. Right. And that's the easy thing in the short term. The problem is I have now trained these people to do what? To come to me mm -hmm. with their problems. Right. And so present bias when you're fixing communication problems can very, very well be that you have trained people to come to you whenever they have a problem. And right. now you're spending your whole day sussing out um, the root cause between two people arguing, you know, and they should be able to fix it themselves, but right. they have been trained to come to you and make you involved. And now you're involved in a bunch of stuff that really is not your job and it really doesn't make you happy and it's really not where you want to be. Right. But we put ourselves in that position because the easiest thing in the moment, just to wade in and fix the problem. Sure. So. That's present bias. And, and, and I just, I point that out because it's, uh, man, a lot of us spend our days putting out dumpster fires. And I always talk about present bias and yeah. then see if any light bulbs go off because people go, oh, I'm a uh -huh. and I and, and, yeah, and for those probably. of you guys who are listening going, oh, Jesus, that's me. Uh, you're not alone. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I remember very clearly the moment my light bulb went off in the middle of Andy and I doing a podcast, actually, where I was like, oh, <laughs> He's talking about me. This is this is me. These are the choices I'm making with with my my team in the clinic. Mm. And it was uh, I remember it really super vividly because I I has, was having this internal dialogue and turned bright red. And you were like, "Are you okay?" It's like, "Yeah, the light bulb just went off. It's fine." Like uh, I, it, it it's really easy because that's that's how we're wired as human beings. So sure. don't if you're sitting here listening to this, don't feel guilty. Give yourself, no, you a, give yourself some grace because we all do it. 
It's a trap for people who are perfectionists who want to get it right. It's a trap for people who are helpers and supporters. Yep, people pleasers. And that's, mm-hmm. that's Stephanie is she yep. wants to help. She wants to she wants to be to serve. And so she jumps right in and does yep. it. It's just it's a trap that's laid for good people. Yeah. When it comes to this, the shifting baseline, uh, the the um the I don't have time to deal with this. That's a very different trap. Right. Uh, and we get there a very different way. Right. But the, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take on all the dumpster fires is an easy trap for yep. people who care a lot. And so yep. you shouldn't feel bad. But once you see it, you have the responsibility to then go, okay, How do I, I need to it? make different choices. Yep. It comes back when we start talking about this and the dumpster fires and 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 uh and and fixing the interpersonal problems, moderating, mediating, things like that. It comes back to the Cartman drama triangle, which is uh which is something I like to talk a lot about. And so the Cartman drama triangle is the hero villain victim triangle. And yep. so uh in in most conflicts. There is a uh, there's a villain. There is the person who is the bad guy. They have wronged someone else. They have um, they have taken a case that was not their case. They have, uh, you know, uh, failed to put back the uh, the the travel sheet where it was supposed to go. And now it's lost. And that person is the villain. (laughs) Right. And then there's the victim who is the person who has been wronged by the villain. And they have come seeking aid. They need to be protected. They need to be saved, Stephanie Goss. Mm -hmm. And the last is the hero. And they want you to be the hero. The victim wants the hero to vanquish the villain and and restore justice in the social norm. And that is the Cartman drama triangle. You don't want to be the hero. Right. Right. You don't want to be the hero. You want the victim to be the hero. That is the answer to the Cartman drama triangle is to make it a line where these two people have a problem and they work it out and you're not there. The problem is we want to be heroes. Everybody likes to be a superhero, especially in vet medicine, because we attract that personality type. We want to jump in and we want to save victims from villains and we want to right wrongs. It's never ending. Right. Yeah. It's, it's never ending. The The victim will find more villains and uh, and, and the and the process continues. Yeah. Well, and so and the headspace has got to be, I don't want to be your hero. I need you to be your own hero. Well, and that's why I think this whole episode goes back to to what you said at the beginning, which is that this is a this is a culture problem. Right. Like this is a big, messy thing. This is this is not something that is uh, solvable because this manager is already doing that. They recognize this, whether they knew about the Cartman drama triangle or not and said, okay, I can coach you. Like, let's talk about how do you want to say this? I can, I can help you address it. They are doing that. They are looking at this victim and saying, I don't want you to be the victim. I want you to be able to be your own hero. Let me help you solve that. That is, that is great management. If that was a Band-Aid that could solve this problem, it would have worked yeah. already. And so the fact that there's still blood hemorrhaging around <laughs> the Band-Aid yeah. tells us that maybe this is not a Band-Aid problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like they're doing it. The, they're doing it at the individual level. And, and right. we need to address this at the at the at the organizational level, yeah. at the practice level. Yep. And so, yeah, no, but I completely agree. I, and I really was really impressed to see the way they approached it was sound like they're 100 percent coaching this yep. way. Yep. But it just keeps happening. It's happening all around them in different places. But yeah. anyway, I still I still like to lay that out just because I feel like there's enough people who need to hear it. But oh, I, yeah. I think you're you're right in your assessment that that understanding the drama triangle is not the problem that we're having here today. Yep. Yeah, I I think those are the last part for me in the headspace as we think about this and say "Eh, this is a cultural problem. And you you put your your finger on this earlier on. You got to forgive yourself. You got to forgive yourself for what happened in the past. You didn't cause this problem. We talked about, hey, circumstances were different. Mm -hmm. We weren't getting any support. These behaviors were allowed to manifest. Shifting baseline happens. It's a natural thing. It's how humans set adrift. And it's become, they become established and it's not your fault. But now now we're going to deal with it. You need to be kind to yourself and you need to be patient. And you need to not focus on where we are right now, but let's focus on the future. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about making this better. Let's talk about getting it back on the track. But as long as you keep looking into the future, you're going to be just fine. When you get frustrated about how things are and how they were allowed to be, um, that's not a productive headspace. And Mm -hmm. it's just not going to, it's not going to move you forward where you need to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, think about (laughs) the movie that was playing in my head when you were just talking is like, uh, (laughs) 
I'm going to date myself here. There was a TV show when I was a kid where the girl could like point her pointer fingers at each other and freeze time. Right. And then she could think about what was happening or reset, reset what was going on. And then magically she could make it undo. And then she could move on with a purpose. It's that moment for you. It's taking the time to say, okay, I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to think about how do I move this forward in the future? And you're calling that time out both for yourself and probably with your team and say, hey, we need to have a little bit of a reset here. Regroup, get yourself together and then think about how are we going to push this down so that we are looking at it in a future facing tense? Because I think that that's really, that's really, really smart. Um, I, I totally understand why you said that, because when the team looks at it, when you do start to talk about it with the team, if they're looking at it, it's very, very easy to fall into the, well, we've, so and so did this, or last week this happened. N- no good comes of that, especially when you're hashing it out at a team level. You're never going right. to get anywhere. The team has to look at it from a future facing perspective of what do we want to do tomorrow? Yeah. If something like this was to occur, right? Because then it's yeah. not about the blame game. It's not about Lauren and Jessica pointing fingers at each other going, well, you were talking about me in the hallway yesterday and I heard you, right? Like that, mm-hmm. the blame game does nobody any good. You have to get yourself and the whole rest of the team um, in order for it to be actionable to look down the road at, at the future. Yeah, I agree. Let's um, Let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll crack this thing open. Sounds good. Hey, everybody, this is Stephanie, and I have to jump in here for just one minute to make sure that you know about a few things that are happening that you are not going to want to miss that are coming to you from us. That's right. The team behind Uncharted Vet. We have a bunch happening in February, in March, and April. So if you have not headed over to the website recently at unchartedvet.com forward slash events, you need to hit pause right now and check out all of the workshops that are coming. We've got an awesome improv comedy workshop that is coming to you from our friend, Dr. Adam Little. If you're not into improv comedy, you think about it this way. Adam is going to take some of the tenets of improv acting and bring it to life and practice and teach you how to feel comfortable with guiding those conversations with your team about what do we say and how do we say it so that we can improve our client service interaction. I don't know a single peer, myself included, who would not have jumped at the chance for this as a manager. So if you haven't headed over to sign up for that, you should. We've got the remaining part of our strategic planning course, which Annie and I are talking about at the end of this episode today. There is an upcoming session that is specific to this week's episode. If you want to sign up for that, you can and more. There's tons of workshops coming. We've got the calendar up at the website. So you should head over there and check it out. And before we get back to the podcast, I just have to pause for a second and say a huge, giant thank you to our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital. Andy and I have wanted to bring transcripts to the podcast for a while now. We've had multiple colleagues reach out to us and say, hey, we've heard wonderful things about the podcast, but it's not accessible to us because it's not transcribed. Is there something that you can do about that? And we were wanting to make that happen. And Banfield stepped up in a major way and said, yes, this goes to one of the core beliefs that we hold, which is that we want to make uh, veterinary medicine more accessible and inclusive across the board. And so they have sponsored the transcripts for us for 2022 and we couldn't do it without them. And we are just so appreciative. So if you know somebody who would love to access this and maybe hasn't previously because it has not been transcribed, send them to the blog at unchartedvet.com forward slash blog. Every single one of the podcast episodes is there. They can find the transcript and they can also find more information about all of the awesome programs that Banfield is offering to increase equity, inclusion, and diversity in our profession. So thank you guys. And now back to the podcast. So let's get into that. Let's get into how we actually fix this. You ready? Okay, let's do it. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about, we talked a little bit about it at the very beginning. You have to trust the process. You have to accept that this is not going to be a single conversation. This is like, we've had, we have to fix something under the surface. And so yeah. it's just going to be a little bit more involved. And this is, this is going to be an investment of time. It is worth it. This is going to be worth the process. It is going to be worth putting in the time, having the conversations and getting everyone as a group on board, as opposed to playing whack-a-mole where we're dealing every day with individual conflicts. And so, yes, this is a bigger upfront investment, but it is going to pay off. And so I think people should have that expectation 
just at the very start. Yeah. And I will tell you, if you are in a position like this as a, as a manager and you're looking at solving some of these big cultural challenges, the best gift and the best tool that I ever gave myself was um, the idea of over and uh, under promising and over delivering. I was going to yeah. say that backwards and did it. Um, and so when you look at this, if you tell yourself, I have a cultural problem, this change is going to take me two years mm-hmm. and it happens in six months or 12 yeah. months, you feel really dang good. And if it takes two years, you've set that expectation. So you're OK with that in the end. And I will tell yeah. you, having inherited a, more than one practice uh with with deep cultural challenges over the years, like I was miserable the first time that I was in that position because I wanted the change to happen so much faster. And I set unrealistic expectations for myself. And then I felt crappy about my role as a leader and questioned my abilities to manage because I thought I was doing something wrong because it wasn't going as fast as I wanted it to go. And yeah. I will tell you that the next go round setting the expectation that this is this is a long game this is not something i can fix in 30 days 90 days even six months like i am talking about a you know year and a half to three year turnaround if you have deep-rooted cultural problems giving yourself that expectation and then let me tell you how good it feels when it happens a little bit faster even if it's just a little bit (laughs) you know yeah it's just that it's that um, under promising and over being able to over, oh, I, whatever, you know where I'm going with that. Nope, you're with it. No, you got it. No, I agree. I, I think you start with those expectations, right? And then the next part is investigation. Mm-hmm. We need to get into why this is happening. Right. Uh, there's something underlying that that's causing this. Is, is this really a gossiping problem? Right. Or is gossiping a symptom of another problem? And often gossiping is a symptom of another problem. Sure. Some of the main problems that I see with gossips are bullies. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of bullies that use gossip as a weapon to mm-hmm. control information, sure. to cause some in-group, out-group stuff, to beat up on some people, to, to keep leverage on people. Uh, are there cliques? And again, cliques often run with bullies because bullies tend to form cliques. Um, yeah. But yeah, is this a click problem of, of the front versus the back or... Uh, or the AM shift or the PM shift? Is there, you know, is there a group of friends that, that kind of sticks together and they don't like other people and other people don't like them? Right. Are there, uh, is this a pot stir problem? And pot stirrers are people who like drama. And you know those people, you know what I mean? Like they just feed on it. They enjoy it. Like yep. I I can't, I, I don't know them. I can't be in their head. But to me, it seems that they just look around and go, it's really quiet. Let's start some stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what can I, what I can I make happen? It. I don't understand it, but there are a hundred percent people that are wired that way. They yeah. drive when there's drama happening. Yeah. They just, they, and I don't, I don't even think it's a conscious thing, but they Mm-mm. just, for whatever reason, it's just, it's what they do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a thing that people do to get attention. I don't know if it's, if, if it's a way that they connect with people is being in drama with them, but there's, there, there are potsters that just, and it, some of them are so nice, mm-hmm. but they just always have drama swirling around mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. The um the last one is is the info broker. And there are people who uh have tried to affect their status yes. through power. their access. Yeah, they try mm-hmm. to get power through access to information. Mm-hmm. So they have it and they get it and they dole it out in mm-hmm. strategic ways mm-hmm. just to try to lift themselves up and to make them it's essentially them trying to make themselves valuable by what they know and what they share. And they often want to make what they know juicy and uh, interesting. And so they spice it up a little bit. And mm-hmm. now we've got a real problem. Mm-hmm. And so th- those are just some of the things that I see that drive this. But a lot of it is is your internal diagnostics of if you're treating a gossip problem and you've got a bully, your gossip problem is not going away. Right. As long as your bully is there unchecked. Like, it's just not. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, you can keep talking to the, to the team, but if the pot stirrer continues to stir the pot, you're going to continue to have these problems. And so mm-hmm. we need to do some diagnosis and try to figure out what's going on here. Is gossiping and conflict, is it is that really the problem? Like we just genuinely don't like each other? Or more likely, is this a symptom of another problem that's going on under the surface? And right. what is that? Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I, I think um, the, the next place 
is kind of where this manager started, which is you have to have a united front on a leadership level to deal with cultural change. And so unfortunately for this manager previously working with the practice owner who wanted nothing to do with the communications problems. Like I've been there. That is a crappy place to be as manager because your hands are tied behind your back and you cannot affect the change. And if you are in a position now where you have the support and the agreement at a leadership level to affect change, that is the ideal scenario. And if you are not in that place, that's the place that you need to get to because you cannot fix deep-rooted cultural issues if you do not have support from the the whole level as far as the leadership team goes whether you're working with a medical director or it's you it, it could it, you could take a outside of this example if you're in private practices if you're a practice owner or if it's multiple practice owners and one is in agreement and the other is not like yeah. there has to be a united front on addressing this and how you address it or it's going to go nowhere yeah that and that's so sad mm-hmm. it, it's so sad and, and you and I see it all the time mm-hmm. the, the manager all the time who's just given her heart and and she's not getting support from the other leadership and like you you know culture comes from the top yeah. it, it, it really does and one person no matter how much they want it when the rest of the leadership doesn't support yep. or, the, or when they undermine either actively or passively god it's the most demoralizing demotivating road to go down and we yep. see people we see people who struggle with that so i mean i completely agree you gotta you gotta get buy-in at the leadership level mm-hmm. so so i'd say to this manager hey new leadership um it, it's time to it's time to get it's time to get buy-in with your with your medical director with you you know with your with your area chief whatever your your structure is but but it's not just getting buy-in like hey i need you to support me in general it's like to say hey this is specifically the problem that i see yes you know will you agree that there's a problem and, and again when we talk about getting buy-in with people getting people to buy into an action that you or an action plan that you have already decided and set up is actually really hard because mm-hmm. it's not their idea and right. they might have done it differently and you're like hey i'm here and, and even if they do even if they would do it the same way that you have done it they didn't think it all the way through and so when they see the plan you're proposing it may not look like what they would do or they don't understand why you want exactly what to do these specific steps so it's really a hard way to go the 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 best way and again i said this is a culture problem it's going to take some time don't get buy-in on the plan. Mm-hmm. Get buy-in on the problem. Mm-hmm. Go and say, this is the number one problem in our practice. Do you agree? And here are some examples of how this problem manifests and what I see. And speak in mm-hmm. specifics, which means, yeah. you know, you should be documenting if you don't do anything with it, other than to say, here's six examples from the last three months of these types of behaviors that I'm seeing. And so get buy-in on the problem, right? Veterinarians and and, and people in vet medicine are generally pretty problem-focused people, which means if you give them a problem, they they like to fix it. And so go to the leadership first and just say, hey, this is the problem that I see. Do you see this problem as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I go to the I go to the team after that, right? Or, or, or at least start to have some of these conversations about, um, about, about culture in general. And so I've got the the other leadership on board. So you see this problem, right? And get them, get them to say yes. And once they'll say, yeah, yeah, I see it. Now it's time to start laying the groundwork. And this is why I said this is an investment because you're going to say, Hey, Andy, you're still not fixing the problem. And I go, yeah, I am. It's just, you, it just doesn't look that way yet. Mm-hmm. But at, at this point I've got people and they're arguing and they're fighting and they're not getting along. It's time to have a conversation about our values as a mm-hmm. team. It's, mm-hmm. it's time for us to talk about why we do what we do. Yep. Why do we come to work here? What's your favorite thing about working here? What makes us, why, why is this a better place to work than than the, the three other hospitals around us? What do you love most about your job? Mm-hmm. And let's build some commonality. Let's lay that on the table and let the whole team say, you know what, this is what's important about, about our team. And this is what, what we care about and why we're here. And it might be uh, serving the patients. It might be serving the community. It might be taking care of the clients. It might be giving back. It might be because we love to learn. It might be because we um, we pride ourselves on uh, the best patient care in the area. None of those are wrong. They're all fine. I just need the team to come together and say, hey, I like that and you like that and it makes me proud and it makes you proud. 
I, I think that's what we're here for. Because if I can't get the team to agree that there's a reason that we're here together, I'm never going to agree to get them to come together and work together. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's got to be something that makes it worth coming to work with these people and making my relationship with those people work. And so it's setting the larger context. If you think about it like a marriage counseling, it's it's coming together at the beginning and committing to the marriage, right? right. It's being like, this is this is a thing that I want to be a part of. Right. And 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 this is why. Mm-hmm. And now that we have both seen the value of this and agreed to the value of it and committed to it, now let's start to talk about what we're actually doing. And mm-hmm. so that's that's the same general idea here. Yeah. And and I will tell you, um, as as a manager who's been in this position, it's it can be hard to keep a positive headspace and to feel excitement for playing the long game because you're just so tired of dealing with the BS. You just want to fix yep. the problem. And and I will also tell you that I have never done this. I've never I've never started with the why and started by talking about values and asking questions like the examples you gave Andy about like tell me what your favorite part of your job is. Tell me why you like working here. Why here why this specific hospital? What what makes this hospital different? than any other hospital that you've worked in. I have never asked those questions and not been completely surprised by at least one person's answer. Mm-hmm. And and that is why I do it because I it, it is changes your whole frame of mind when you can look at these people who you're so frustrated with. And I swear to God, I just want to look at them and wring their necks. And then somebody says something and I'm like, I didn't see that coming. That's yeah. great. I can work with that. It yeah. is even if you do it as an exercise for yourself, I will tell you that that helps with staying in a positive frame of mind because we don't ask it. We don't ask it enough and yeah. uh, at all. <laughs> and giving them the chance to start over and start at the beginning even if they're reluctant. And let me tell you, I've sat in plenty of these meetings where they have all been looking at me like this is total BS. Why are we here? Right. Sure. But you just got to fake. You just got to. I keep the smile yep. on, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, just... it starts that way. Right. It, it, right. Always, it always starts that way. It really right. does. They're, they're always going to look at you. You know, we did we did the way that you and I did this at the Uncharted strategic planning meeting when our team got together uh, and sort of started to talk about what we want to do and where we're going in 2022. Um, I think my, my question to the group was, what do you when you think back in the last year, what are you most proud of? Yep. And I, I like that question. Yep. And it was really insightful to go yes. around and have each person sort of say, well, this is what I'm most proud of that we yes. do. And it was really a wonderful bonding kind of experience. And and mm-hmm. I, I, I came to understand people in a slightly different way and go, oh, it's funny that, that that's that's the thing that made you most proud. I, I you know, I, I love it, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't uh-huh. my thing, but now yes. I see that it's your thing. And I go, okay, I know how to talk to you now in, in a different way. You know yes. what I mean? Or, or yes. I understand why you're behind some things and not behind other things. And it was just, it's not, it, it's nothing short of just trying to understand people. But the other thing is to say, what are you most proud of? It's a super positive way. Yes. You're not going to get a lot of negativity from that. You know, no, you're not going to go to your vet team and be like, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of how Carol doesn't suck so much <laughs> as as the rest of the CSRs. Like, no one's going to say that. You're, <laughs> maybe they will, but I, I, I doubt it. I would be, I, I think we have a very straightforward problem if, uh, if someone, if someone, someone says that. But yeah, it, you know, it, it, it may sound woo woo, but it's really not. It really yeah. is about what are we doing here? Yeah. And so, yeah, those, those types of, of questions just to get people, just to get people to talk to them about what you care about. And you might not tie this to gossiping. In fact, it's a process, right? right? I just having a talk, maybe it's just the CSRs, you know, maybe it's the whole team. It depends on, on your system and, and where you are and how you're set up, but it is really just, it's just a process of figuring out, Hey, what do you guys like here? What's important to you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sort of collecting those things. And, and I, I actually would uh, take that and expand it even further. I I would hazard a guess that if there's deep-rooted cultural challenges within a practice like this practice, um, it's easier, far easier to build psychological safety with smaller groups than it is with bigger groups from the start. And so my suggestion would actually be as as a leader at tackling this, I would 100% do some smaller meetings, start with yeah. just the CSRs, start with just the tech team, start with the kennel team, break it out into a smaller group. Because if you can take 
three to five to 10 people and get them talking and agreeing on things and then layer and then take a separate group of three or five or 10 people and get them talking about things, then your job of building the bridge becomes exponentially easier because you have information from those groups that they don't have about each other yet that helps you do your job to to build that bridge and help create that layer of safety because you can spot the commonality and you can help use that uh, to the long-term advantage of the conversation about be like, yeah. hey, look, I met with the CSRs and they said these awesome things about the tech team and the tech team had these things to say. So, you know, knowing that you guys all feel that way, let's, this is how we can move the conversation forward, right? Like I, I, yeah. I would strongly argue for that versus if you have a really small team and you have only five people, sure, you could totally attack this totally. all out, right? But if you've got a medium to bigger size team, it is far easier to take smaller groups and, and layer them on top of each other than it is to try and do all go all in. No, I completely agree. Uh, and again, it depends a lot on, on your team. It depends a lot on the problem, right? right? If this is a CSR problem, then I might just start by talking to the CSRs, you know, um, and, and try to and try to iron things out. It really depends on the specifics of what was happening. If, if you're going to work in groups and there's some real benefits to working in groups as opposed to working with the whole practice, especially if you've got a bigger practice, this this may be too sprawling a conversation to have with a big group. Right. So the classic approach, you know, that we, we sort of talk about in Uncharted, um, we talk about getting our leadership on the same page. Yep. Right. And then we talk about getting the doctors on the same page. Yep. And I would do it the exact same way as I'll get the doctors together. And I would say, what do you guys like most about being here? And then uh, I would also say, hey, do you guys see this problem? going on in the team and i would give the doctors the problem and say you know we have people that there seem to be arguing all the time and we seem to have a lot of interpersonal conflict do you guys see that um what insight do you have about why that's happening and what, what are you you know what are you guys what are your thoughts i, I, I want to fix this i want to make this better and i could really use your advice and i could really use your support and now i'm recruiting the doctors mm -hmm. into this i'm showing them the problem i'm asking them for their advice and doctors love to give advice mm -hmm. we do mm -hmm. i will give you all the advice <laughs> i i i i have a, literally 170 podcasts you're listening to one of them right now of me giving advice uh, unsolicited like like it's just i i, I Exhibit A of doctors who just give advice. That's that's this guy. So, well, I uh, I also think your your point earlier about doctors being problem solvers is super valid here. Like if yeah. you unite them around a problem, now it becomes a puzzle that they can solve, right? Yeah. So 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 bring the doctors in and just say, hey guys, do you see this? Because remember, culture comes from the top, and if you right. can get your 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 fellow leader on uh, leaders on board, right. and then if you can get the doctors to say, yeah, we don't like this, and 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 if I see something, we're we're gonna say something about it, and that's a powerful thing is the doctors to say to say to the technicians they're working with, hey guys, let's let's not talk about people who aren't here, okay? Yeah. Um. Whatever whatever the specifics are that you're facing, but but getting the doctors on board and just to say, yeah, we don't condone this this behavior and we don't and we're not going to participate in it. That's a huge win. Mm -hmm. And then I go to the key opinion leaders, right? I go to my uh, my head techs. I go to my uh, my big personalities, the ring leaders. They might not have a they might not have a title, but people look to them, right? And I would say, hey guys, let's talk to you guys. People look up to you. Hey, do you guys see this? Um, I, I want your insight. Why do you think it's happening? Can you can you help me? And I talk to the doctors, and I really want to make this change. But I know you guys are, are really important because people look up to you. Mm -hmm. And now again, I'm still trying to recruit these people. And you see, it's going to take some time to meet with each of these groups of people. But mm -hmm. I'm slowly turning the soil mm -hmm. so that I can start to grow something beautiful. And and, and at some point, I'm going to meet with the dissenters. I'm going to mm -hmm. meet with the people who are the ones who seem most uh, most likely to have arguments with people. And I'm going to say, hey, look, I want this to be a good place to work. Why do you think these things happen? Do you see Do you see that we're having a lot of conflict in our staff? And I may be kind of vague about, you know, not trying to go in and have a disciplinary talk, but just to sort of say, what do you, why do you think that, that, that we have conflict the way that we do here? And see if I can get them on board. And the last thing is, I, and at that point, then I go to the rest of the team. And now I've got, if I've done it right, I've got the leaders on board. I've got most of the doctors on board. I got most of the big personalities and key mm -hmm. opinion leaders on board. Mm -hmm. and I can get some enthusiasm. So by the time I roll it out to the rest of the team, I should have a pretty darn good amount of support. And I also shouldn't be surprised by mm -hmm. the pushback that I get or what people say. Like there should yes. not be someone goes, well, we can't 
get along when so-and-so is doing this that yes. you've never heard of. Yes. Like, man, if I've had all these meetings and no one's mentioned this big, obvious problem, like, yeah. I I can't imagine that happening. That, yeah. that would just be too too far of a stretch. Yeah. And that's that's really key for, for me. I learned that lesson very early on as a leader. Um, and it's one of the tools that I use the most is, God, I don't ever want to go into a group conversation like that without knowing what the outcome is going to be to a degree. Yeah. And so for me, it is all about, I want to get those people siloed out in a safe space and hear what they have to say so that I hear it for the first time in private and have time to process it and have time to come up with my game plan before I get whacked with it in front of everybody in a team meeting. Like that's, yeah. that's the goal. Good, yeah. good, ba- good, bad, good, bad and ugly, right? Like doesn't, doesn't always have to be bad or ugly. Like sometimes you want to hear that good stuff so that you can punch it up even more. So if your doctors are like, Hey, I watched this thing happen, but then so-and-so did this. And I really was, uh, you know, proud of what they did. Like, look, that's a great example. Like, let's, let's think about how we can get the rest of the team to do what Jessica just did, right? Like that's, those are the things that I want to know ahead of time so that I can game plan so that when we do talk about it with the whole team, I'm not caught off guard. No, I agree. I, I think I think getting that game de- game plan down is, is key. I yeah. think working sort of through those groups is a really nice way to kind of break this up into bite-sized, manageable conversations yeah. that I can do. And then ultimately, I'm going to try to get under the team. And I'm really, if you want to, if you want to really do it well, ask the team how they want to handle it, or what they want to do, yep. or what rules they would like to see in in, in place. Yep. And and you'll be amazed. Like honestly, if the if the ideas come from them. They, they tend to buy into them more than they're ever going to buy into ideas that come from you or me. Yes. And so I, I think, Stephanie, you do this really well. You're very good at sort of saying to the team, what, you know, what, what rules would you guys like to have? Yep. Or, or how, would, how do you think this should be approached? And what, you know, what would you like to see done? Or what reward, how can we reward people who are, are whatever the term the team uses, are culture warriors, are, are, are happy people, are smiley people, are people who are uh, lifting others up? How do, how do we recognize those people? How do we reward them? And you'll see the team get really excited about the idea of because of shutting this stuff down because they don't nobody likes to work in a place where gossiping is going on and people are getting in arguments all the time. And we talk we've talked a bit about psychological safety in the last couple of weeks. This is a perfect example. Like, I don't want to go to work where I'm always watching my back. Mm-hmm. And I'm, people are going to get mad at me and they're going to say stuff about me that's not true or, you know, like, yeah, I don't want that. And so if you say, Andy, what can we do about this? Or are there rules that we should have? How do yeah. we approach this? How do we celebrate people who aren't doing this and who are who are who are supporting people and lifting them up? I'm like, I can get really excited about that conversation. Yeah. If you're and I'm sitting- a doctor, so I'll give you advice. <laughs> and if you're sitting there listening to this and going, Oh, pick me, pick me. I want to learn how to do that. <laughs> like, uh, we we actually are gonna have a workshop at our April conference, which is coming up. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, we're going to have a, a workshop on psychological safety with our friend Phil Richmond um, talking about how to how to build this. And yes, to your point about um, about agreements, um, that was something I learned early on in my career. And one of the things that I realized after spending years um, feeling very disappointed and frustrated because it seemed like no matter what I did, when it came time to get feedback from the team, there was, I, I struggled with um, hearing that I wasn't doing, they didn't think that I was doing a good enough job holding people accountable. Mm. And I really struggled with that because I spent a lot of time focusing on putting systems and protocols and processes in place so that we could have team accountability. And it took a very, very long time for this light bulb to go off. And I mean, like I sat through multiple reviews and then went home and cried my face off because I was like, everybody thinks I'm a crappy boss. And that wasn't what was being said, but it took a really long time for the light bulb to go on. And it ties back to appreciation in a way for me, which is that, you know, we've, we've, we all have all, most of us have heard of the languages of appreciation at work. And we think about the idea that people like appreciation in different ways. Mm -hmm. Accountability looks different to different people. Mm -hmm. And it took me so long to flip that light bulb on and realize that what I thought was accountability and what I was working towards with systems and protocols and processes was not what accountability looked like to the rest of my team. And so Mm -hmm. to your point, when you're asking a team, how do you want to handle this? The the word that I specifically use is how are we going to hold each other accountable? And then I ask them, what does that look like? I I'm, and I will make them close their eyes and tell me, okay, if Sarah, if gossip is our problem, if 
I was, and I use myself as the example, if I was in the treatment room and I was just talking smack with, with Andy and I was just talking about Jessica and this is exactly what we were talking about. Tell me, you describe to me, my eyes are shut. What does accountability look like in that moment? What do we say? What do we do? How does it sound? Is it loud? Is it soft? Is it private? Do I say, hey, can I talk to you, uh, you know, away from everybody else? What does that actually look like? Because accountability looks very different to different people. And once that light bulb went off and I started having those conversations, for the first time, I started being able to affect change and feel like I was being, um, I was doing what they thought of as my job, even though I'd Mm -hmm. been doing my job all along, I was able to change the perception around accountability because it does look different to different people. For some people, accountability looks like, look, if somebody does the wrong thing, I want them to get written up. Okay, I I know what that process and protocol looks like. I know how to document employee, uh, you know, disciplinary issues. I know how to discipline somebody out of a role when it is appropriate. But I... It doesn't look like that for everybody. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's just like, look, I just want them to not do it again. Okay, well, but how do we make sure that that happens? What does that yeah. system look like? Um, and so it's asking that question about how, what does accountability look like? And then asking the better question, which is not, how do I, Stephanie, as the boss, hold you guys accountable? It is how are we as a team going to hold each other accountable? Because if Andy and I are in the treatment room gossiping about Jessica, and Dr. Sarah walks by and hear it, hears it, I want Dr. Sarah to say, hey, you guys, I really don't think that that's a conversation that you should be having in the treatment room or at all. Honestly, if you have a problem with Sarah, you probably should go talk to her, right? Like that is that is what I want accountability to look like amongst the team. The team has to talk about that and they have to all come to an agreement about this is how we're going to hold each other accountable because it can't just be Stephanie as the manager policing everybody because ain't nobody got time for that. And I don't, as much as my kids don't, they, they believe I have eyes in the back of my head still. I don't have eyes in the back of my head and I can't be seeing all things at all times, right? It just is impossible. And so this is where we have to get their buy-in and ask them, what are the rules? How are we going to show up for each other? How do we want to handle it when we screw up because we will screw up. We will, we will, we are building new pro, we are building new habits. Sure. We are building we've new got, systems. I was going to say, we've got, we've got habits at this point. Yes. And that's the sad thing is that yes. these, these have uh, been allowed to become habits. Yes. And so people Years will do of them. It. Yeah. And so you just know, like I said, we're in this for the long haul. It's going to be, it's not going to be perfect, but we're going to keep circling back. And then we're going to have some follow-up meetings and be like, yes. how is everything going? Yes. I'm starting to see an uptick in these behaviors again. Uh, you know, can we review our rules? How's everybody feeling about it? Are we still comfortable holding people accountable, as we said, and just having those conversations again, but bringing it back up to the surface and, and, and working on this? Because guys, working on culture, it it drives everything else. It, and it takes time to change, mm-hmm. especially when people have built habits, but it is worth it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's great. How do we how do we hold each other accountable? Um, how are we going to re- uh, measure and reward drama free behavior? Yeah. You know, uh, like, yes. like, how do we how do we celebrate the people who were setting a good example? I really I keep going back to that. It's it's so hard to police culture. It's easier to reward the people who live it the way that mm-hmm. that makes you proud. And mm-hmm. so how do you catch those people and 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 and, and lift them up? And then and, the last thing. Sorry, well, I was just going to say that one has to be multimodal because appreciation mm-hmm. looks different for everybody. Yep. And so that's another conversation that you have to have as as a team and re- recognize that for some of the team, um, if we can all break a habit and we have good, healthy behavior and we can document that maybe for some of the team, success and re- reward would be amazing if we had um, you know, a taco truck come by and feed everybody after work one day. But for a bunch of the team, it's not going to check their it's not going to check their box when it comes yep. to appreciation. So this is about what what do getting to know your team as people and recognizing how do they all value appreciation and can we find commonality around one specific issue and come to an agreement about what does that look like? You know, I, I agree. I, I think that's so true. And the, the last thing is now that we have had this conversation, now that we have talked about what's important, now that we have talked about what we believe in and what our values are and what the problem is and how we're going to hold each other accountable, now is the time to start holding people accountable. Yes. And I really emphasize start. And this yes. is why I started at the beginning by saying we're talking about the future. Right. Not the past. You can't, we are not starting now 
and retroactively trying yeah. to punish people who have been bad actors in the past or, yeah. or, or poor performers. Yeah. That, that's gone. It's over. We have all talked about why we're happy to be here. We've all talked about what we see. We've all talked about what we agree to do to make this place better. And now we start to hold people accountable in a meaningful way. Yep. Clean slate for everybody. We're not holding anything against anyone. But now we start and we start building, um, we start building our, our, our naughty list and our nice mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. And when people have problems or when we uh, hear about gossip or pin, when people start to come and they're bringing conflict and things like that, we're, we can have, start to have a coaching conversation. Yeah. We can start to give them feedback and say, hey, this is really something that you should be uh, dealing with yourself. Um, hey, we're here that we're having these conversations. What's going on? And when people are caught spreading gossip, you know, doing things that are damaging to the culture, we need to hold them accountable. And if they show that they are unwilling to change or if they show that they have values that simply do not match and run counter to our practice, meaning I'm going to cause drama. It's just who I am. It's just what I love to yeah. do. And the core values of the practice are we're, we're a kind and, and happy place to work. Um, that person's a bad value fit. Yep. And yep. They need to go. Like that's yep. that's it. You know what I mean? Like, but ultimately, it's not about hey, you were gossiping and you need to go. That's not how this happens. And it's not even about hey, you continue to gossiping and I'm writing you up for gossiping. Right. At some point, the conversation now that I'm holding people accountable, it's going to change to I have talked to you multiple times about your behavior and you keep saying that you're going to change your behavior, but you're not changing your behavior. And now I'm going to talk to you about your unwillingness to change to right. get on board with the team and your truthfulness because you keep telling me you're going to change and then you're not changing. Right. And that's ultimately why that person is going to be let go is, is because they're not being truthful and they're yeah. not willing to change and to get on board with our practice yeah. or they're a bad values fit. They just, they, they do not believe what we believe here and they're just a bad fit and it's not going to get better. And, and, and for those people who struggle with like, how do you, how do you hold somebody accountable and how do you let somebody go for what a values fit looks like? I, I would say that going back to the team agreements, if you have conversations with your team, there should be a code of conduct. Like there should be a line in the sands that everybody on the team agrees that these are immediately actionable offenses. If I mistreat a patient, if I um, mm -hmm. leave, you know, leave a patient without water, like those are things from a patient perspective that people could look at and say, I could see where someone could could get look go on a first offense for those things. It's the same with behavior. Theft is a big one, right? That's that's on our non-negotiable list with my team at every hospital I've been at because if someone steals from us, it's not a non-negotiable and we're going to let them go. It it is also the similarly our our code of conduct and ethics is like we want people on our team who are truthful. So if I have team members who are lying and repeatedly telling me that you're going to do something and not doing it is lying in a, in a way, like you're not telling me the truth. That becomes easier to say, hey, look, this is our code of conduct that we all agreed to. This is our, this is our code of ethic, ethics, whatever you want to call it, it, it fits for you and your team. But having those lines in the sand of these are the one and done. This is where we draw the line in the sand and say someone is going to get off our bus if they can't mm -hmm. get on board with these things. It makes those conversations a no brainer. They are not hard conversations to have. We think about them being hard conversations because we haven't take, taken the time to define where that line in the sand should be and get agreement from the team as a whole. Because a lot of us have some of that in our handbook, but it's a thing that we hope that people read when they start employment with us. It's not something that they participated in making necessarily, or that you've talked about on a regular basis with the team that everybody knows. It's not a living, breathing thing. And so yeah. this is where another exercise that is so invaluable is take the time to build a code of conduct build an ethics clause for your handbook as a team and review it every year at least so that the team knows this is where our line in the sand is drawn because then those conversations are so easy to have. Yeah. No, I agree. And for um for people who are who are struggling with evaluating employees and and having those hard conversations, I, I think 
I think this podcast will probably come out a little bit late for that. On February 23rd, you and I, Stephanie, are teaching our evaluating employees and loading the bus workshop yes. uh, in Uncharted. So um, I, I think this. I think that we'll already have done it when this episode drops. But yeah. if you're an Uncharted member, it will be in our knowledge library and you're welcome to check it out. It is uh, it's a workshop that you and I run about every year uh, just yeah. because people really like it and they really need it. So yeah. anyway, that is that is there if you're an Uncharted member. Check it out. Guys, um... That's it from me, Steph. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else. No. Do you? No, that's it. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. May you have uh, less menthol diarrhea in your house than Andy has yes. in his. <laughs> yes. Maybe. That's how we measure. That's how we measure. How was your year? Mm, didn't have any menthol diarrhea. Oh, sounds like a good stuff. Mm. Live, must be living right. All right. Oh, God. Take care, All everybody. Right. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.